pilot. Pilot? What's a pilot? Well, the way they pick TV shows is they make one show. That show's called a pilot. And they show that one show to the people who pick shows. And on the strength of that one show, they decide if they want to make more shows. Some get chosen and become television programs. Some don't. Become nothing. She started one of the ones that became nothing. It was funny to me, Keith, thinking about the different levels of demographics that vampires are targeted to because you really see vampire type characters for all different ages right there's like a spectrum you have probably the most innocent right is maybe the count in sesame street (laughs) (laughs) true i didn't even think about that (laughs) right and then you kind of can look up the the different targets up going up the age ranges so like you have what we talked about last week buffy the vampire slayer is more for teenagers and what we're talking about today, True Blood, is definitely aimed unequivocally for adults. Mom and Dad. Yes. I want to do real bad things with you. Uh, late night television, HBO, it's definitely flexing that freedom from the censors. So I just, I just find that really funny. I mean, we've talked about other... Like, for example, in our last podcast, we talked about uh, Twilight. And that's something I think for, like, the tweens, preteens. Uh, and adults. Right? And as you kind of age up, you see more and more um, sexual sexualization of, of vampires. And there's, uh, I guess, an interesting thing about that. Vampires being these erotic-type characters in the sense that, you know, danger can be sexy, right? There's, there's a certain thrill of being with one of these dangerous creatures it's sort of this uh interesting human condition they do penetrate the skin with their teeth <laughs> like, yeah, they, there's a lot of sexual like imagery with vampires yeah exactly they have you in a very vulnerable state right and there's a violation there and so it's that's that's very interesting there's again sometimes it's played more innocently like in say a twilight but here you're definitely getting a, a gr- nitty gritty sexualization of, of vampires, really diving deeper into that proclivity that uh, some people might have for for that mythology. So I find that all pretty fascinating. It's it's evolved so much over the years from the classical sense of vampires to now what it true blood is a much more modern and not classical at all sense of uh, of vampire lore. And yet the rules. I'm I'm trying to remember. I I can't tell you when like all these vampire rules came on, but yeah, no, like yeah, vampires have like a pr- not only like oh you can't be out at, in the morning, but crosses silver hurts them. Right, they sh- have to be invited in. Is that I don't know if that's true in True Blood though. Is it? I mean, I, I I'm not sure. It is. It is. Okay. It oh, is. interesting. Yeah, because I think as we'll get into uh, the character build does ask for permission to visit. The character Sukiyatra. So you're right. That that does come into play here. So yeah, it's interesting how there's some universal rules of vampires that everyone just knows, but in each depiction of vampires, they kind of have to establish which rules they're following and which rules they're going to either ignore or even introduce and and make up new for for their version. Like I think we can all understand that. Like Buffy was just a simple vampire hunter. 
Like she, and she, like before, she she not only hunted vampires, but stake to the heart, can't be out in the morning, turns to ash. Because they never really delved into, or, okay, they don't like crosses, they don't like that religious imagery, but they never, at least as I continue watching, Angel can just walk into places, uh, and no one's touched silver. But, yeah, no, I would say, like, I have a pretty interesting relationship with True Blood. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would say even with all the shenanigans that they're up to, they're still pretty very good with the lore. Like, that's this is kind of when I learned all the lore for vampires. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean... I, I'm aware that they introduce other mythological creatures, and I guess that comes with the territory. Buffy does the same thing. If you're going to have vampires, it's a matter of time before you also get werewolves and shapeshifters and all other sorts of... Witches. Yeah, and... witches. Yeah, that just comes again with the territory, and they're all rivals, I suppose, uh, to each other. Um, so that's... Yeah, you're, you're, you're bound to get into that sort of um i don't know what i'm trying to like, say <laughs> well it, you want to you know where do you like okay you introduce uh vampires and get into that season one i think werewolves are introduced in season like mm-hmm. it's just a as we look at like every pilot especially something like true blood which is a drama it's it's one puzzle piece and then the puzzle gets bigger Right, and then all of a sudden you're looking at a full picture of the world that they created, and I don't even think the like there's a lot of criticisms to be thrown at True Blood's way, uh, and just talking about the show in general. But the world building, the world building is, I think, just one of their strongest pluses. Yeah, I, I like that. For example, in this True Blood world, vampires are just known. I believe it's the only franchise will be discussing at least that vampires aren't a secret everyone just knows there's vampires and that's part of even the culture and the politics of the world yeah. is the they presence. came out of the coffin two years ago <laughs> came out of the coffin which again very apropos the allegory there you're gonna see this show very much on the nose comparing vampire rights to gay rights or other kind of minority rights and uh, again of the time right this is like the mid-2000s and very much a turning point in culture so definitely a show that resonated very much with the political scene. Um, so that's probably what contributed to its success at the time. Yeah, this was like one of the first shows of the like, like right before Obama got elected. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, this also comes around the time that like Proposition 8 was passed. And so, yeah. you know, people are you know, very much thinking about where the country is headed culturally. And this show really taps into that. But again, with um, the fantastical allegory of, of vampires through that lens. And yeah, there's a lot that you can do with vampires, like just exploring them through like a racial lens, a uh, sexual orientation lens, and also like a kink lens. Oh, that's like it's that forbidden, like the way they talk about it. And we'll talk about it. But the way it like, like seems like that. Like, oh, you've never done, like, BDSM? Like, mm-hmm. ooh, everyone says you got to do it once before you die. Like, it's that kind of, like, forbidden apple. Exactly. There definitely is a sadomasochism involved in that, and not just in this show, but, again, like, in vampire lore in general, but this show is kind of taking that to another level for 
the HBO audience, right? Yes. Uh, doing more than what you've, you've seen previously. Very uh, probably, I don't know. Maybe this is the most explicit depiction of vampire sexually. I can't say I've seen a ton of vampire content outside of the shows that we're discussing, but it has to be up there. Uh, yeah, no, I think, I think they get pretty, especially season two where there's like full blown orgies. Uh, I think the show, it goes there, but they, and I think HBO knew the hit that they had on them. So they just encouraged it. And I was going to, it was the right, Alan Ball was probably the right person to do this show, at least while, when it was at the top of its game. Yeah. Yeah. As we'll get into the history there, you know, he had previous history with, with HBO and he had a personal connection to the source material as well. Um, and, you know, one more thing I want to talk about, too. So this show goes on to run for seven seasons, which <laughs> I think as far as HBO shows are concerned is, I think, on the higher end. Right? I don't think too yeah. – HBO known for quality television, but typically a lot of their – at least the most well-known shows – end around season six, five or six, right? The Wire, five seasons, Sopranos, six seasons. This runs for seven. And, you know, is that necessarily a good thing? You tell me. I will, because that's my relationship with this show. Um, at least for me, I, I, w I didn't watch it right away because I, I came back from winter break uh, my freshman year. And I was saying, because I lived in the dorms, I was living at home, and I had nothing to watch. And, I, you know, I, it's like HBO On Demand. It's like, oh, right, True Blood. I'll just watch that one episode and just – I know Anna Paquin. That's about it. And, uh, yeah, it, 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 I ended up binge-watching it throughout that entire winter break, and I'm like, bring on season two. And then as I watched it, its popularity just grew and grew and i'm of the belief of know when to leave the party yeah absolutely know when to leave the party make them want more and i know there's 13 books in this series and you're never going to see a show like that uh, never, like i don't care how many books are in a franchise like outlander or any you're never going to see a 13 season show right just, not in this day and age especially never 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 and i'll eat my shoe if that happens <laughs> i'll hold you to uh, that but yeah it's around the time alan ball left and he left because i think he just ran out of steam and hbo's just like more 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 right uh, right i mean it the show only it, increased in popularity with the ratings it just got so ridiculous around like maybe that season five ish mm -hmm. territory like even there were the cracks were showing in like season four but i would say like one to four are like really good television and then it just i just remember by the time because we watch like we would watch with some friends in college like the group of friends who did watch it on sunday nights would just all gather together in the living room right and there are times when i would go because they added so many characters i'm like i don't even know who you all are anymore like yeah it, it just there it became so much and I think it, I think when you, like, Alan Ball definitely wanted to, like, loosely adapt the storyline while adding in his own, like, how do I, what do I want to say about society with my show and 
what can I do while also trying to keep it the plot loosely adhere to the storyline. But I think as things just got grew and grew and characters became who aren't really that famous in the books became famous or aren't even in the books like Jessica, uh, that actress, like, like it just kind of became I'm going to guess the show just got out of control. Yeah. And I I didn't care for the finale. I think the best way I would tell people would like people would ask me, why do I watch? Why, why am I still watching this? And I would say it's like I'm holding on to an anchor and I'm deep in the ocean. Either way, I'm dead. But <laughs> I just want to see what's at the bottom. Because I, I like every, I, I think like season six, I'm like, okay, this has to be the last season. And they, you know, they added another one. But we're not talking about the end, but I, because I would always say that, yeah, that at least the first three seasons are some exceptional television. Yeah, I'll keep that in mind because I'm fairly new to the show. I remember a few years ago I watched like the first, I don't know, maybe the first half of the first season. And for some reason, like I just didn't get around to, to continuing. So, you know, I think this time I'll give it another go. And I'll, I'll again, I'll keep that in mind. First three or four seasons and maybe tap out after that. I'll see. I'll, I'll let you know as I progress. But um, and may, uh, And maybe because I'm at that age and I just watched – I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm starting. Hey, if I don't feel uh, like if I'm not feeling the show, I'll leave. I won't watch the show. Absolutely. I don't care how it ends. But also, I'm proud of myself. Like last or during the pandemic, I did a rewatch of House of Cards, but I only stopped at two just to see if I could, just to see if the show still held up. Yep. But I knew when it got bad. Like I know how to. I don't need to see the whole rest of the show. I think that comes with maturity as a TV viewer or just as a consumer of content where, you know, you come to a point where if a show just isn't doing it for you anymore, then you don't want to waste your time and you want to move on to something else that will. And it, it can be disappointing, especially if a show had so many great highs for however many seasons, right? I think if a show had three or four really good seasons, then okay, you're going to be tempted to try to finish it out at least or go as far as you can. If a show had maybe one or two good seasons, then you're going to be likely to maybe leave a little sooner if things start dipping uh, you know, earlier. But I, I'm at the same place. I, I think House of Cards was another show for me where I was so turned off by the third season that I just tapped out. And after that, I'm like, you know, once a show just, I can tell, isn't going to recover then see you later. You're right. Well, if you look at it like a two season show, like once he becomes president, he did it. He got he got what he wanted and everything else is just kind of whatever at the end. But it, this one is a shame because it was probably one of the most popular shows of that time. Yeah. And I think just because it it became so overwhelming and so out of control that it just kind of. I don't know how the uh, the finale ranks, but it can't be that high. I remember just like either not caring or just going, eh, like what, like, like can we, can we get the newest show on the block? But right. I still remember watching that first season, that winter break, and just going like, what is this? I'm so like they they right. were just it was a grand slam first season. Yeah, I, I feel very positively about the pilot, and we'll, we'll get into the history now in just a second. But, you know, just to show how this, the, um, to demonstrate how this series really took off in popularity as it went on, I mean, this show 
the first episode, this premiere that we're discussing, uh, 1.4 million viewers watched the initial telecast. And by the time you get to um, season four premiering, 5.4 million people watched it. So it really, I probably a lot of people in the same boat as you that maybe discovered it a little later and, uh, you know, uh, probably caught up by that midway point in the series. But then, you know, that was just in time for things to dip a little bit in quality. So, And that's before Game of Thrones, too. Like, that's pretty high for HBO. Like, that, that absolutely became an event that people had to watch. A lot of people were buzzing about that show. So uh, speaking of which, though, you want to take us a little bit more of the history here on the True Blood premiere? Well, like you said, it aired on September 7, 2008, which Sundays are now, like, around this time, Sundays became... Uh, like in the mid 2000s, Sundays HBO became prime time water cooler viewing. Exactly. And uh, it was created. It, the first episode's called Strange Love, and I'm kind of happy. Like I always appreciate a non pilot called uh, pilot. Right, not just but, pilot uh, episode. Alan Ball, who won the Oscar for screenplay of American Beauty and a show that I also really love, Six Feet Under, uh, he had a lot of goodwill in that first. He had a deal with HBO and. The idea for True Blood came when he was waiting for a dentist appointment uh, and he was walking around in Barnes & Noble, which I've done. I've waited for appointments. And he came across Charlene Harris's The Sampi uh, Southern Vampire Mysteries. And he read that first one and he was hooked. And he, he went to Charlene and it's like, I want to option this. I want to make this into a TV show. And she had other options. Like people, I guess, wanted to like other production companies wanted to make it. But she said, I went with Alan Ball because he really got it. And, you know, as, as we'll go forward, you could see why. Uh, but like a lot of uh, pilots, they filmed one in 2007. And I think the only change was there, uh, that they did was uh, Tara, uh, Sookie's best friend, who was played by the actress Brooke Kerr. And who they replaced her with, with Retina Wesley. And uh, yeah, this was a fun like production. I think they only shot a first uh, a couple of the first episodes of the first season when the dreaded writer's strike of 2007, 2008 happened. So the premiere date got pushed back. Yeah, very apropos, right? That uh, we're learning about this production history at, at this present time. Uh, but yeah, that's interesting too that he this yeah alan ball he really falls for this book series the southern vampire mysteries i'm curious how popular of a series it was before the show right like you know he discovers it in a barnes and noble was it that well known of a book series or was it something that you know he just happened to come upon happenstance and it, you know if it wasn't for that that chance discovery would we have ever known about this book series i always forget how some like there's a whole like especially with like fantasy literature there's a whole there's all these franchises that i've never heard of and this is a 13 book franchise so i would say and i think the first one came around out out around 2000 so if he let's say read it around 2006 2005 you have at least maybe four five books but he read that first one and i would say the first one is uh, 
having not read the book, so what do I know? But that one probably follows the book to the close, uh, like it's the closest, and it's oh. very, it's very like, it's a very tight script, like a structure, short uh, story structure, like every, like it works very well, like it's a murder mystery. Yeah, it's interesting. I I, I was starting to remember some of the other episodes that I'd, I had watched uh, years ago. And that that's it's an interesting take. It's not just about vampires. There is a real murder mystery here to be solved. And vampires are just a major element of that. And so, um, yeah, it's it's not as straightforward of a concept as one might think. Yeah. But uh, once yeah, the pilot premiered September 7, 2008. Oh man, what a time! <laughs> Late to what a time! I was yeah, I I think I entered college around that time, like whatever whenever Memorial uh, Labor Day was. I went to college the Tuesday after. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that I believe I was uh, starting my senior year of high school at the time, just to date myself, and also thinking about where HBO was. Yeah, they, they a lot of their really big shows had ended in just you know, recent years. Uh, again, like, you know, The Wire, The Sopranos. Um, they needed a hit. Yeah, and this definitely was something that was brought on the slate and was exactly what they needed. I mean, yeah, it was... It just goes back to how consistent their programming ha has been over the years. And, um, you know, I think part of the appeal also has to do with something you see on TV that you don't really see on broadcast, right? Like going just back to how explicit the show is. I'm sure that also grabbed a lot of viewers, had a lot of people talking. Of course, there's more to it than just that. But at the very least, that could be something that is an initial appeal for a lot of viewers. A lot of people were like, oh, my. <laughs> I oh never. my. Uh, is that a, oh. <laughs> it's. It really does go there. I think the line's a little blurred there as to, uh, you know, are you watching uh, a, a drama or are you watching something a little more softcore? It, it, it's, you're, you're, there, are, there are certain moments that they really are fearless in that regard, right? They're not censoring themselves at all, which good for them. But even considering now, maybe we're a little more used to this sort of content in the current year, 2023. But in 2008, even with all those prior series HBO had aired, I think this still was pretty shocking. Yeah, I think the second season is when I first saw like a male schlong and like a like just, I was like full oh, front, my. full frontal. Like, yeah, I was like, oh my, Jeremy. <laughs> yeah, it's and uh, interesting too for these actors uh, to to you know be so exposed that way and. and uh, you know, props to everyone for again being so so fearless in what they were trying to depict. But uh, you know, I'm sure also it, it had to be controversial at the same time. So here we go. Uh, the stage is set, like you said, September 7, two thousand eight. We put on HBO on this Sunday night, and we're all set. So Keith, take us to the pilot. So we open up on a dark road. Uh, a young couple, 
college colleges. They're driving in our fictional town of Bonton, Louisiana. And uh, PSA, everyone in this show has an underlying sexual tension. Everyone is just like secretly horny. Very, very horny. I don't think it's a secret. I think everyone is very outwardly horny. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Uh, uh, I amend my statement. Uh, so, yeah, they're they're doing something, you know, trying to jack each other off. And uh, they pass by a rest stop that says, hey, we ser- we now serve True Blood. And they're like, oh, shit, we got to check this out. You know, they're walking and uh, I always have to laugh at the synergy. Mm-hmm. And I even think they used it in promotion. But like Bill Maher is talking to Nan Flanagan of the Vampire Association. Like, don't you people, people like it's, it's just trying to get that synergy and just like getting it's a good way to have exposition. Yeah. Like, I think- oh, you, you guys have been out there like like and they're, she's like, oh, you you what? Why are humans? Uh, vampires worse than humans. You guys do all this shit, right? And it's it, it sets the scene, uh, the world building a little like that little tiny puzzle piece. I agree. I I think Bill Maher's show has been used in a few other instances to normalize something otherwise fantastical. So I think you know I, one thing that comes to mind. I think in Iron Man three, there's like a clip of Bill Maher criticizing <laughs> Iron Man. You know, like just something to show how normal that this this element is in this world people are just used to it so yeah in this new rule in vampires can't bite me <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so yeah in this in this tv on this rest stop so they just have on in the background uh this this political debate concerning vampire rights and that's really you know getting right into the theme of the show right off the bat yeah and uh they walk up to the clerk who is this uh, you know, grunge, emo, heavy metal looking guy. Like, it's a trope, I guess. If you're doing a vampire show, you want to make someone who obviously could be a vampire uh, look like a vampire. And, uh, you know, they ask him about true blood. He's like, you want the true blood, the blah. And, you know, he's starting to scare them. Meanwhile, there's a trucker guy who overhears this conversation and he is not happy. So, and this, the clerk is scaring the girl. Like he's like, I will, he's doing the, like, I will suck your blood and then fuck you. Yeah. Very offensive caricature of a vampire. And then he goes, I'm just joshing. And, uh, you know, and then they start asking for vampire blood, which is another, I think an added extra layer of lore to this. It's like, Oh, you know, our friend Jenny did it in senior year and she got, fucked up like and uh so the trucker guy tells him to like <laughs> knock it off and they're like fuck you old man and uh he's like fuck me and then you, you see the little teeth pop out and they get the hell out of there and he's buying like o negative like a four pack of o negative like you would a beer right and uh he threatens the clerk like if you ever pretend to be us again i'll fucking kill you have a nice day <laughs> like Yep. Great, great opening. Like it, none of the main characters, it just kind of sets up uh, like what True Blood's been out there created by the Japanese, va- allowing vampires to come out. But always in a, you know, same way with Buffy. Uh, someone who you, oh, this guy's a vampire. Right. It's subverting. And then it's the, this person. Right. It's subverting the expectation. You do not 
imagine a vampire to look like the vampire that's in this scene, which is yeah. a very stereotypical deep South sort of guy. Like you said, trucker hat. He has this like camo gear on, like he just came back from hunting or something, but yeah, he's a vampire. He's not in the classical sense. And that's what the show is, is basically telling you in this scene is that this is a different, different type of vampire you're going to be seeing in yeah. this show. And then probably one of my, uh, favorite opening credits for a lot of reasons. A, it's a great song. It's Bad Things by Jace Everett. And it's a song that really captures the theme of True Blood. And also, uh, kudos to the people that that studio house who did make the credits. The the, the Southern imagery, yeah. the religion, and just like stuff decaying with like, like, could it be religious or is it a vampire? Some of it's, you know, blood gushing, but the song, I want to do bad thing. You instantly think of True Blood. And it's, it's basically like, uh, you know, it's basically how uh, maybe Bill thinks of Sookie. I want to do bad thing. And, or how even Sookie thinks of Bill. Just everyone thinks of, I want to do bad things with you. Like That's what everyone wants to do to each other, right? Because uh, yeah. they're all just so, like we said, like so turned on all the time. And I, he has the voice too for that. It's mm -hmm. it's a great, great opener. Well, you know the song. It's like a, it's got like that country blues ish sort of feel, which is great for the setting. And also the imagery too. Uh, like you're right. I do like the juxtaposition between uh, like you know religious iconography and then some of this more vampiric type imagery. But then also uh, a lot of these images we're seeing too of of nature, of uh, life and death. There's a very jarring image of a, of a decaying fox that famous one <laughs> yeah yeah i just oof but again like we're really honing in on these themes here of life and death um you know culture and religion good and evil and uh, it's yeah. it's fine that this is on the nose it doesn't have to be subtle it's not trying to be it's just it's really emphasizing the the sort of themes that the show is going for and it's you know this, this is not a show that wants or needs to be subtle. It's really forefront in, you know, in its story and in its, um, in its subtext. So, you know, I, I agree. Very, very memorable opening. Yeah. You ever pretend to be one of us again? And I'll kill you. Got it? Yeah. Have a nice day now. So then we... Cut to one of our famous set pieces in the show, Merlot's Bar and Grill, which is kind of like a restaurant. I feel like I could see the set. Like, they're not shooting. They're shooting on an L.A. set. Like, you could see the trees. Yeah, yeah, I and see that, too. And just a set, which is fine. Like, you know, they're all L.A. But uh, we meet our main character, Sookie Stackhouse, and played by the great Anna Paquin. And she's just your average, like, 20-something waitress. But there's something unique about her. She can hear thoughts. And uh, it's not explained why. And I'm, it is explained later on, but it's not. It just, hey, this girl can hear your thoughts. And she's, you know, she can hear the, the guy going like, well, just one beer. And, you know, people talking about their sex lives or thinking about their sex lives, I should say. It's very personal, comment. you know? People, yeah. People, obviously, it's their thoughts, right? But uh, it's interesting. She can't really seem to turn it off. It kind of, the more, you know, watching this pilot after some 13 years, no, uh, 15 years. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I, 
I'm kind of happy Suki does have this power because it makes Bill that more interesting. But also, she like she knows if she's with a guy what he's thinking. Like you know, she knows everyone's innermost thoughts. She has, you know, just coming at it from fresh eyes. She probably has trust uh, trust issues. Yep, absolutely. That that's a good point. You know, you can tell that this is sort of a burden for her than than a power. Yeah. Well, even and even just she's stuck in this one horse town. She like you know I'm stuck here. You're like get the hell out because otherwise you'll wake up one day and you'll be being a waitress. Oh yeah, yeah. She tells that one kid. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That was and then it's awkward, right? Because the kid's like, uh, how did she know what I was thinking? But she does that accent. Like I don't know. Like you know, someone could tell me like, oh, that's not a good accent, but it's very memorable. I buy it. There's there's like an yeah, innocence I, about it. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of Sookie. You definitely get in the pilot, but that's just Sookie's character. But we're about the the next set of scenes are just meeting our main characters. And, you know, we meet Sam Merlot right after he owns the bar. And he uh, he definitely has a crush on. You don't even need to read his mind to know that he has a crush on Sookie. Absolutely. It's in his eyes. Yeah. And then uh, we meet Tara, uh, Sookie's best friend. Uh, and she is the sassy best friend. Maybe a little too... Just a little anger behind that. I'm not, I, yeah, I'm not sure if sassy is the right word. She's very outspoken. Uh, outspoken. Uh, maybe easily agitated is another way to put it. Yeah. Now, everyone thinking about Tara. Tara, at least during these seasons, uh, works. And then I would say, you know, with all the plots that happened to her in the later seasons, I just I fucking hated this character. Oh, but really? The, to me, this is humble beginnings. I, I, I really enjoy the actress, and I've seen her in – recent shows uh and she you know it's always surreal to see a character you know for like seven seasons pop up in like last of us but i've always liked her and i tara at this point is just like i there's some goodwill that i like okay you're looking out for your best friend but you know she is she's been ready to quit she's like working at like some walmart-esque kind of place right and uh she's been waiting to quit Quit, and she just quits on the spot and then calls Sookie and, uh, you know, she needs to drink. So she's coming over to Merlot's. And uh, I think what True Blood does, at least at this stage, is all those side characters. Like you meet Arlene, played by the great Carrie Preston. And, uh, you know, she's just like that divorcee with kids. Like, oh, he's not your real daddy, and we'll find out who she's dating later. But everyone kind of, this is a town where everybody knows up they're up in everybody's business. Everyone yeah. knows everybody and they're up in everybody's business. I like that, you know, small town, everyone knows everything. I mean, they all seem to know that Sookie can read minds, right? Like that that's how much they're all in each other's lives, is that they even know things that you would normally see in other shows as total secrets. Like it's all out in the open in this show. Yeah, I like how like especially like since they've a lot of these people knew her since childhood. They're like, get that. You promise not to fucking do that. Right. And, you know, it, the, the yeah. Tara character, too, you know, she's like, she'll tell Sookie later, like, you know, don't be in my head. But, um, you know, you could tell it's a character with a hard exterior. And I find her funny, at least the fact that she is so in your face. You know, she's telling people off. She's not afraid to you know get into an argument or a fight with someone who's you know especially if it's like a, a big guy or something i do like that about the character initially i feel like it might get a little old quickly but in this first episode uh, i i enjoy it not quite like what i would say once again this like really great first 
impression. Like everything that you need to know about this character, you get it right then and there. And, uh, you know, Suki, a couple of uh, assholes come in. Mac and Denise. Uh, Rat uh, Tray? Rat Tray. Rat Tray. What a name. They come in. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they're kind of scummy people. And, you know, she reads her head and he's like, you know, I want to, you know, you know, he's thinking sexual things and she's calling her re, uh, the R word. Right. And uh, they're that couple I wrote down. And, uh, you know, she goes back to give the order to my favorite character. Mm hmm. Uh, Lafayette. 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 Uh, Nelson Ellis, R.I.P. Yes, yes. Like he really brought I don't know what he is like in the books, but maybe this is a case where like they found a character, they found the perfect actor for the character, and he just whether he it was written for him or he improvised, he just they he merged with this character and the world. Like it's just he was always a delight. His storylines were always great. It's like and uh great introduction, because he's just like I'll have sex with you. Like, you know, like, uh, to the other waitress, Dawn. Yeah. Like, he's just talking dirty. And they're like, like, he kind of goes every way. I guess he he is kind of. He just radiates sexual energy. He, like so many other. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Like so many other characters of the show do as well. But yeah, he, he, um, he's a very. I mean, I feel like a lot of the characters on the show, they're very like all, all their attributes are at a, at a 10, right? And so with this Lafayette character, you know, he does talk dirty and he's he's a very physical character. He has a lot of these, um, you know, he's just like radiating this like sexual energy all the time. And, uh, I, you know, he, he's I, like you said, he's, he's very memorable. But I, I do like the banter, too. You know, he kind of has like a really funny response for what everyone is saying back to him. And sort of very similar to like Tara and so many other characters, he's just like very well defined from the beginning and yes and so that's I, I do really appreciate that about the show like you know who you're getting really from even before these characters say a line you know what what kind of person they are this is a strong pilot like it's just it says everything to, everything you need to say and that's in any scene it does very well and makes it entertaining uh, yeah it's funny like the next scene yeah like the next scene where we meet Sookie's brother, Jason Stackhouse. And yeah, that like what a character introduction. Like he is a horn dog. Oh yeah, yeah. To such a high degree. Another character that uh is described as sex on a stick is this guy. As we'll see, it does get him into a bit of trouble. Now here's where we enter like I'm just putting on some introspective lenses on. This is where we enter some kind of race. And or just this is where vampires kind of represent a lot of things right now. Jason finds bite marks on uh, Maudette's inner thigh, and he's like, "Are you sleeping with vampires?" And he he's kind of like a little like a mix of jealous and angry. Yeah. And she's like, "Oh, you know, I just did it. I found it thrilling, and he paid me. He wanted to suck my blood, and you know, I had, and uh, it is kind of like, well, I heard you want to." Yeah, everyone's. Uh, someone said you should have sex with a vampire before you die. It is kind of treated like this marginalized group with a hint of like that sexual thrill. It's well, an interesting layer to they're, it. They're fetishized, right? Fe yes, thank you. I was thinking of the word, yeah. Yeah, and so that obviously is something that happens to 
groups of people in the real world. And so, you know, you can see again, the allegory here on this, sh in the show is how that sort of, um, yeah, it, it, it objectifies you know, them in a way it turning into purely sexual objects. And yeah, I, I kind of want to use the word dehumanizing, but does that word apply to vampires since they're technically not human? But you get the point, right? It, it, Write to us for more. <laughs> uh, no, but that, that's 100%. That's a hundred. Like, and that's kind of the fun that you can have with vampires in this world is just that they could be they could be anything you want it to be. But how it's executed is just very well done. Yeah, exactly. It, it really, um, again, hit, hitting a lot of issues right on the head. But uh, we're about to... Ma, uh, Maudette te uh, tells Jason that she videotaped it and we're about to get Chekhov's videotape and another trope alert and this one's more obvious that like you know I think Anton Chekhov said if you have a gun in the first act you better use it by the third act um, so yeah Chekhov's videotape that's what I'm calling it uh, yeah. but, then, but then we cut back to uh, Merlot's and Tara's there with like a margarita and she's chatting with Sookie and obviously they're BFFs and Sam is awkwardly in love with her. And then the music swells and Bill Compton, our other main lead, walks in. And I kind of wrote some interesting, like, there's that mysterious, like, wait, what's up with this guy? But for Sookie, there is something, I guess the title of this episode is so appropriate because it is kind of a strange love at first sight. There's something about this guy and then you like it's Merlot's first vampire. Yeah, she's immediately drawn to him. She also immediately knows he's a vampire too, by the way. Like she He looks like a vampire. He does, he does, you know, like he's very brooding <laughs> uh, the way he carries himself. It's like, okay. Yeah. Clearly this guy is not even pretending to not be yeah. a vampire. But I, I do like that, too. Like, I think everyone else in the bar could tell he's a vampire, too, or at least, yeah. like, later on. It's just, you know, it's 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 no secret when yeah. one is, is present. Now, it should be noted, uh, and this is probably the perfect time to bring it up, that Anna Paquin and Bill and Bill Compton, um, Stephen Moyer, are in – not in love. Uh, they're in love, but they're married. They have twins. Well, I hope like, they're they, in love if they're married. Yeah. <laughs> but, no, this is, like, you know, you kind of think that, like, oh, maybe – it was kind of love at first sight for these two. And uh, the chemistry has the chemistry between these two, even despite the show taking their romance in interesting directions, but the chemistry in those season highs are just excellent. Yeah, you know, a plus. I, I think, too, that their romance, at least in this first episode, is played in... I want to say almost like like a noir in a way where it's just like Ooh. it's a it's a very like stylized dialogue. You know, the camera is very dynamic. There's like a very much like, you know, I'm bad for you. You're bad for me. But the hell with all of it is is like the sort of setup here. And they know that uh, there's going to be trouble if they get involved with each other. But they, you know, they proceed regardless. A little bit gone with the wind. Like uh, there's a, there's that southern aspect too, like that just. It's uh, you know two two kids on different sides of the track. Yeah, a for, track. a forbidden love. Yeah, um, you get some more context. That's when you find out that vampires came out of the coffin two years ago. <laughs> what a term! You know, she and she goes up to like you're our first vampire, and uh, you know, of course, he wants true blood. And you get that funny story like they don't have any because 
they bought some uh, and it went bad. And then you get some, you hear about the vampire rights amendment. But he wants to say, just give me some wine to look like I'm doing something. Yeah, yeah. And as she gets the wine, that's when they're going like, oh, Mac and Denise are very interested in. Uh, yeah, they're very interested. Beware in, uh, the rat build. trays. Hi, what, what can I get for you tonight? Do you have any of that synthetic bottled blood? No, I'm, I'm so sorry. Sam got some a year ago, but nobody ever ordered it, so it went bad. You're our first. Vampire. <laughs> Am I that obvious? So the only note that I really have for the next scene, and it's a big note, is Maudette does show uh, Jason the video, and it's the free... I This video has always stuck with me it's just so freaky it is right of, of her having sex with the vampire the way he his um head is moving back and forth right there's this very and this is intentional of course but it's it's a very um inhuman like movement that this vampire is doing it's also like a very i want to say like feral is the word that comes to mind like it's a very savage sort of sex tape that's going on here again you have the bdsm she's like hooked up like with these chains to um to like a, a hook or something but the way that he's like going at her it's it's very um like it's very animalistic right it's, it's very primal you know he he's playing it up for the camera too. Like he looks <laughs> yeah. at the camera but yeah no like it's it's kind of uh as you said fetishized erotic like oh why had sex with a vampire and he paid me a thousand dollars like yeah it's kind of it, and it's definitely explored more as the the show goes on but also a lot of these people, and I don't even know how I would feel. I think we kind of talked about it last episode. You know, Tara hates vampires. Right. It, like, everyone has, like... Well, she hates everyone. Not, yeah, true. But everyone, you know, when Bill walks in, they're just like... It, it's kind of disgust. Yeah, yeah. Or shock. Shock and disgust. Well, you know, um, if, if you know, vampires are standing here for, uh, you know, second-class citizens, so to speak, then that would make sense. You know, you wa they walk in to a place that um, isn't used to their kind, then they're going to be met with um, a wide range of reactions, including a lot of negative ones. So, you know, that it, it all makes sense. Everyone has very strong opinions. Yeah, and of course, Suki is probably like uh, one of the few who's very welcoming and, and positive about uh, a vampire walking in. I think that's our, uh, you know, in the book, it's just like, this is put, place your face here. Yeah, right. yeah, whichever you know, whichever group of people you want to say. Um, but yeah, she—they're all watching Mac and Denise kind of flirt, and there's something about Mac, like he's clen they, you know, the the cracks are starting to appear on these people, like how sketchy they really are. Like Mac is clenching his fingers, and of course, as Sookie walks over, she's able to read their mind that they're going to drain him for blood, and that's I don't think I've ever seen that in any show. Like vampire blood is like ecstasy yeah v v juice is v, it called v juice yeah yeah it's interesting like that's um it, it is a drug that i imagine would go for a very high price just from how dangerous it would be to acquire and how there's probably not a lot of it but it's you know very potent and so um that that is a very interesting element to introduce that you know as much as vampires prey on humans here it, it also goes the other way around you know you have these um you know these two 
the rat poachers. trace here. Yeah, poachers who are you know looking to uh, you know kill this guy and and sell his blood. You know, very um, yeah. You you would think it again subverting expectations. You would think the vampires are the ones who are um, preying on the humans, but you're getting uh, the other way around here. Excellent world building, but uh, nobody cares. Yeah, like, yeah. Nobody uh, nobody cares, and they leave. And, uh, you know, she's she's using her superpower. And I'm, once again, I'm kind of happy like no one like Suki doesn't. And Grant, Alan Ball is a, a great writer. He doesn't need that that line of dialogue where like, oh, I, get, I, I just had this superpower to read people's minds since I was like right, three it's years old. showing it's just. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we cut to. Um, yeah. OK. Yeah. Yeah. We cut to Jay as Suki looks around. For Bill, we cut to Jason, who's trying to yeah, this insecure guy. He's trying to fuck Maudette like the vampire. You know, Maudette yeah. is hooked up, and the camera is on. Yeah, he doesn't realize he's now he's being recorded in the same way. This um, you know, this Maudette, she, I guess she has a, a kink herself as well of filming her exploits, and uh, it ends with him choking her and killing her. Wait, he does? Is that what happens? I thought I thought he chokes her, but he he kills her in that scene? I didn't I didn't pick up on that. Well, okay. Uh well, I'm only talking from a pilot perspective. Okay. But uh like he he chokes her and then puts her under the bed, right? Well, yeah, I mean, I definitely know that he's, you know, especially with this all being recorded and whatnot, what's happening here is going to be very incriminating. Yes. Uh, yes. later on. Even though yeah. I was under the impression that, you know, he's maybe a fall guy or something like this is all maybe a setup in a way. But um, definitely he's, you know, he, he's he's going to pay for this. Yes, he he, he doesn't. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not trying to jump too far ahead, even though I've spoiled other seasons down the down the way. But wow. at least like what happens in the next episode. But I think, he yeah, he takes things a little too far. And but. We cut back to Suki, and they find uh, she finds the ma- the rat trays. Dra- they have silver wrapped around him, mm-hmm. wrapped around like, Bill, you know, and uh, wrapped around Bill, and they're draining him of his blood. And Suki, she attacks, and uh, she attacks with the chain. Uh, which I- I'm trying to remember. I feel like I blinked and I missed it. She- something magical happens with the chain. She like really um, gets lucky here because she manages to wrap the that that like chain and hook around Mac's neck in a perfect way that yeah. that chokes him, and so that incapacita- um, incapacitates him. So she only now has to deal with Denise. Yeah, and you know that's when she grabs Mac Mac's knife and just says like, "Don't you know?" She threatens him, uh, threatens Denise, and. Like, oh, you know, they both run off. It's like, we'll get you. Yeah, yeah, you'll pay for this. Yeah, she rescues Bill. And another uh, lore about vampires is uh, vampires are fast healers. Yeah, right. It's like the silver burned Bill very severely. But the second she peels it off of him, then it, his skin immediately heals. So, you know, it's it's damaging, but quick recovery time. So Mac and Denise, they try to run those two over in just one last last ditch effort and uh you know they fail obviously but something of no and a dog a dog arrives 
Oh yes, I don't know. I don't know how much. I don't know what you know. I but... know enough to understand that that is that is significant. In... Yeah, it's it doesn't mean anything now. It's like oh, it's a dog that hang that hangs around Merlots. That's kind of all you need to know, and it's kind of checking in on Sookie and barking at Bill. Yeah, and then it goes away, uh, which is you know I can imagine when this show aired, you're like okay, whatever. But no, that that. That dog is pretty important as the show goes on. Yeah, yeah. From what I've understood too, and you know what, uh, Eric has um, watched the whole series too, so he was also pointing that out to me. Like, you see that dog? Uh, okay. <laughs> I was yeah, like, yes, yes, I see the dog. Uh, okay. Um, but one thing that Sookie finds very interesting about Bill is she can't read his thoughts, and you have she doesn't know what he's thinking. And there is something very fresh and new to her because Bill. Bill is a southern gentleman. Like even in vampire form, like I th he definitely comes if I'm trying to remember everything correctly, he he's from like Civil War times uh and we don't need to go into his backstory and I, I don't think I remember all of it, but he yeah, he's a southern gentleman and he carries himself that way. So, but there's that that adds to the allure of like I can't tell what he's thinking. Yeah, that's like a relief to her. And again, like you know, there's a bit of a contradiction here with the Bill character. Cause yes, he's a vampire, and so his inclination is to seek out blood. But you know, he has proper manners here. You know, like yeah. he's, he he is like drawn to Sookie and he respects her. But at the same time, he knows that he's bad for her, and he gives her a proper warning about it too. Well, and here, like the this whole scene is really just kind of why what kind of represents true blood in another way like these two like not only it's really their first introduction not only do they exchange names but they're like i think this is where the spark happens because he's also feeling her out he's like and what makes you sure you can trust me and there's something about her innocence and good nature that he's finding like new like yeah i imagine he's encountered you know for lack of or like vamp pure I'm, I'm, racism and bigotry towards vampires right. so he like there's something so like innocent and because she's even talking about her sex life she's like i haven't had sex since like you know i'm i'm single and ready to mingle yeah and, and but there's like the she spark... seems she seems very pure and also like pure, you're right yeah she he, she's probably one of the few people that he encounters that isn't just openly hostile to to him or even you know, um, that doesn't have um, an ulterior motive, right? Because Mac and Dan Mac and Denise, they seem pretty friendly at first, but uh, you know, then they they were trying to use him and kill him. So, yeah. you know, did he he maybe is meeting someone he could trust for the first time in a long time. What's your name? Bill. <laughs> Bill. I thought it might be Antoine or Basil or or, or, or like Langford maybe, but Bill, the vampire Bill. Oh my! It's closing time, and uh, time for you to go home. I can't stay here. Harleen leaves, and Tara, uh, Tara's like you know, kind of in her own way, asking for a job, and she manages to convince sam to give her like a bartending job 
and how does she know how to bartend? And this is something yeah. that I don't know if it's in the books or explored in the books very well, but Tara's mom is a to me a vicious alcoholic, played by um, uh, Alfre Woodard. In like I always thought she was fantastic, but you also find out um, or uh, what's his uh, they're cousins. Lafayette and Tara are cousins. Right, you get to, well. yeah, as we would see later that they they do know each other very well. Yeah. But uh, that Jason arrives, and uh, there's another not not love triangle, but like whatever sh- uh, shape this show has for love. Tara likes him. Tara's <laughs> liked him ever since they were kids, and you know it's like Jason basically sees her as a sister. Right, right, and uh, you know you would think that given Tara's um, you know uh, confrontational attitude towards everyone else, it is a little surprising that Jason who um, you know, is maybe like not the most likable person in the world is someone that she actually does is one of the few people that she doesn't openly hate, <laughs> right? Like she's actually very uh, soft on him. And so that I, I find that to be um, surprising too. Although she does get frustrated because he either, he doesn't realize her feelings, right. Or he doesn't care or both, but you know, he does seem like very, um, yeah, he's he's kind of a dummy, right? And so she gets very flu- frustrated with him by how just like um, aloof he is about so many things. I'm glad you said that because one of Jason's characteristics throughout the entire series is he's a dumbass. He does, I've, I've, I he does a lot of things that get him deeper and deeper into a, a mess of trouble. But uh, you know, it's funny you were talking about it, and it's like, oh, I'm getting hints of uh, like Lay Miz. Tara is that girl. Huh. Like, I love him. Even and the guy just doesn't notice. Uh, yeah, so Tara's the eponine of this story. Yeah, basically, and uh, you know he kisses Dawn. They had a relationship before the other waitress, and uh, you know Dawn kind of. You know, I'm going home. It's you know I got my tips and good night. But yeah, Jason, it's I'm kind of surprised. Like after everything that he's been through, he's coming in like ready for round two. He's still like all horned up after all that, right? Uh, but again, like this is the scene I was mentioning before where Lafayette calls Jason um, sex on a stick. And yes, that, that boy is sex on a stick. Definitely rings true. Uh, so we then go to Sookie's home, which also becomes like a really prominent set piece. And we meet her grandma, Adele, played by the great character actress. And you've seen, you all seen this person before, Lois Smith. She's in so like many things. Yeah. Still going too. She's like, I think in her late 80s, like God love her. And uh, she is really uh, funny enough. She's reading Charlene Harris, waiting up for Sookie. Um, and they have a quiet relationship that it's, you know, she's like, oh, I met a man. And it's like, not just any man, a vampire. And they're like, just, you know, like, Ooh. <laughs> yeah, she's so happy like, for him. She's open minded to the vampire. Yeah, she's idea. she's happy for for her, for Sookie. Right. Like she's she's not like everyone else is very um, much trying to make sure Sookie stays cautious and they're very wary. But yeah. Adele is she's just like, ooh, OK, Sookie, like you go. Yeah. And uh, that night, you know, it before we before we realize what's going on, you know, Sookie wakes up and. Bill is outside her house and she senses him and, you know, they meet out on the the front lawn and they're about to have, you know, he's like, I want to have sex with you or do I? And, you know, she's basically had some kind of sex kind of dream with him. But yeah, there's, 
he's on her mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then she wakes up right before he is about to stick his, his fangs into her. So, you know, she again, like she's very well aware of the, the danger she's uh, going to encounter by pursuing a relationship with this guy. So that morning, uh, Sookie is, you know, sunbathing out on the front lawn and Jason arrives and, you know, small town, everybody knows what's up. He's like, well, yo, uh, like what happened with you and the rat trays? And, and, you know, they, they, Jason, despite his flaws and he has flaws, he does care about Sookie. Yeah, exactly. He's very concerned for her. Like you would, you will find out like what happened with their parents. Like it's just them, even though they have. Uh, their grandma's love and support. It's them against the world. Yeah, I d- you get a sense of that for sure. And uh, he doesn't care about vampires either. Um, and I, I just kind of have to laugh, like just. And this is a personal, like they were. Li- she has the iPod stereo. That it's not that it mm. dates it. It's just like, yeah, this show came out in 2008. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. A late aughts uh, time capsule. But it's starting once again. Small town. Uh, Del, like Maudette, Maudette Pickens was found strangled <gasps> in her apartment. Oh my! And uh, Jason is stupid enough to be like, "Well, you know, she was a fang banger." Another great like in in world world like and Grandma plays the great role of like, "What's a fang banger?" Like people who just you know they want to have sex with vampires. Great name for it. Yeah, yeah, I, I get a kick out of that. You know, that's. If they're part of this world and they're normalized, there's going to be, you know, slang. There's yeah. there's going to be these kind yes. of terms, you know. Um, I like, you know, I'd like to think that the gay version of that is a fang queen. Ooh, <laughs> fang queen. Uh, so you know, he, Jason's acting very suspicious, and Sookie is like, "Hold on," and she tries to read his mind, and of course, uh, Jason is like, "Knock that off! Get out of my head!" Yeah, yeah. He's even though off. you can kind of get like. It's like, yeah, he something's up. He's he's not uh, good at hiding his yeah. inner monologue, right? Even though she isn't able to read his thoughts literally, uh, you know, before he storms out, it, he's he's easy to read, even for someone who isn't psychic. That's why if you're ever around a mind reader, just play like La, uh, La Bamba in your head. <laughs> yeah, just the like thinking like of the most mundane thing, uh, you know, uh, that I. That's interesting, right? Growing up with a sister who can read your thoughts, that had to be kind of tough. So uh, we then cut to Jason at work, and he's basically – I didn't want to write construct. He basically, like, helps tar the road, or I be- and uh, we get a whole slew of interesting side characters. We get his uh, uh, co-workers, Hoyt, who becomes major as the show goes on. I think he becomes, like, a beloved character. And then we also get Renee, who's dating Arlene. But then we get uh, two great character actors, uh, Sheriff Dearborn, played by William Sanderson, a Blade Runner and Deadwood fame. He's this quiet motherfucker. And uh, Andy Belfour, who is one of my favorite character actors, Chris Bauer. Yeah, like, yeah. The, the, the Wire, the dude. Like, he's like he's another actor that's just been in everything. He's and such a enough, grounded just, actor. I feel like he yeah. just, you know, he he's so natural in whatever yeah. uh, world he's in. It's just, you know, I, I, I love these kind of character actors. You know, they just yeah. really um, brings, they, they just really help bring this world to life in a very subtle way. You know, they're like kind exactly. of like the unsung heroes that just, you know, make these worlds so much, um, they feel so lived in because of these actors. So uh, they question Jason about, Maudette, and they know 
Once again, they, they the, it's all on video. Jason's such and a Jay, bad liar. Like, why is he? He's an idiot. I kept writing. He's an idiot. Keep switching his story around. Like, he's he couldn't be more suspicious if you asked him to be. Um, but yeah, he he's like, it, it kind of is like, okay, you got me. You saw the video. Like, I guess yeah, he goes in with them, and then we cut back to Nan ooing over Bill. Like, I want to know, and another in like, oh, I want to know with my like history group if this guy knows anything about the war yeah and i just find that that's so interesting but that's she turns out to be right right like her adele asking if bill was around there during the civil war that that turns out to be totally spot on right like that's yes that's an interesting coincidence i think yeah well even if he was older he must have seen the war but also like it, it, it is spawn out and i do believe that is an episode or at least like a portion of the episode of bill doing the gentlemanly thing talking at a library another interesting aspect too if you think about it if you know vampires are well known then from a historian's point of view they have to be very valuable resources if they've been alive for centuries then they have all these first-hand accounts of all these major historical events so i i like you know again like you touch on that too there's all these like possibilities uh, that you know, vampires provide outside of um, you know obviously the the sexual element of it. Well, it turns out that Andy Warhol and Grover Cleveland were vampires. <laughs> oh well, no, no, I, no, I'm not, shocker. I, but yeah, no, like it's like yeah, like there is and other vampire shows kind of deal with uh, just like maybe they're around during the where Jesus, like around that area, they grew up in like the biblical area. Right. Medieval times, maybe. Right. Or, um, or during, you know, during the Renaissance, what have you. Right. And I think another show, we're going to talk about another show um, to wrap up the month that also points out like how each of the characters, uh, each of the vampire characters are from originally from different points in time and you get insight into that. So, um, so yeah, another, another aspect of, of vampire lore that I find very fascinating. Yeah, so we once again go back to Merlots, and this is where we find out that Lafayette and Tara cousins Renee and Charlene are dating, and everyone's kind of talk like everyone's kind of talking about Jason, except the last one to know is Sookie. Yeah, yeah. Oh, by the way, Renee is that very thick Cajun accent character. Oh yeah, yes sir, yes sir. He has that Gambit accent, which you know again like, it makes sense. This is the uh, the Bayou of Louisiana. I'm surprised. You know, do you have to have at least one character who brings that accent because you know it i i couldn't tell you how authentic that is but i could definitely say that sometimes it's hard to understand what he's saying it's it is very thick and um uh, it adds to you know just emphasizing what this environment is you know um bon ton. you don't get like a lot of like deep Cajun accented characters and things to begin with. So I'm glad that they took advantage to have that here because I, I kind of, I kind of like that accent. I, I don't know. It's so unique. It's just Gambit and this guy. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Gambit from the X-Men. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, it's like you said before, I'm kind of happy that the people close to Sookie just know about her condition and I'm just calling it a condition now. Like they just, or they see it as a condition. It's a common knowledge. Like everyone just yeah. knows. And that's again, like it's so interesting. Cause like, you know, does that, does that lead to her being persecuted anyway? No, because every, you know, everyone likes her. Everyone cares about her. And that's just one other thing they know about her. Yeah. And so he confronts Renee and you know, she know Jason didn't kill anybody. Jason's an idiot, but he doesn't kill. And you also like, you get Hoyt's a goody goody and Bill Arra- and this, 
Bill arrives again, and there is a vibe. There is te- like all kinds of tension in the air. Yeah, very tense moment. And she hears all the thoughts. And the second she touches him, all those thoughts go away. Yeah, you know, I thought this was very much like the um, it's clearly the climax of the episode because she's walking past all the characters we've met up to this point. And yeah. they're basically, you know, you're basically hearing their thoughts, not just on the situation, but just about each other. And it's kind of just like a little bit of a wrap up of, you know, you've met these characters and we're going to get like one last take on all their different perspectives before we hone in on what really is the focal point of the story for now, which is this relationship between Bill and Suki. Yeah. And can you imagine just like meeting if you did have this power of just hearing everyone's thoughts, you know, you're up in everyone's business and you meet somebody and the second you touch them, all that goes away. Like there's something special within, it's not, I don't even know if it's written in the stars, but there's something, uh, there's a unique connection that these two have and you know, like there's, there's some sexual tension right there. Yeah. And of course it's the first time we ever get, and this is Suki. Like he calls her by Suki, like that deep lark. Um, Emphasis, you and, know. You know, she yeah, you get some cute dialogue. She asks for the favor and he'll come by like she wants to ask him after work. I get out at one and he'll like, I'll be right there. And uh, you know, they look at he's like everyone's staring. She's like, and you know, it's cause I'm a vampire. God, I'm even delivering like there is a sexiness to even how I'm delivering. They say it's but it's as- filmed in a way, you know, you get like the the camera panning over the two yeah. of them, right? And it just kind of emphasizes they're kind of in this bubble. Everyone's watching them, but they're just kind of tuning them all out. They know that everyone's yeah. there, but they're really just focused on each other. And it's a very stylized scene here. Like, like that's why it reminded me of like a noir or something. You know, it's it's very much. Um, like I don't know, there's, there's something almost old-fashioned about it. And uh, you know, I'll see you later tonight. And he walks away, and the voices return. And they're yeah, like you said, I can't even. I don't think I can add any more to that scene. And Sam comes in and ruins it. Oh like, yeah, Sam. Like like I don't know. Like once again, how would you react if? Like I was dating a vampire, or just like one right. of our friends was dating it. Like you are, you are concer- concerned for your friend, but I don't know if Sam goes about it the right way because no. he does make her cry. Right, right. Like he he gives her such a hard time because, like again, it's very clear that he has feelings for her, but also he's being very he he's shaming her in a way. Right. It's not yeah. even like uh, he's being. Uh, that benign about it he's he's shaming her also for you know her actions before when she was saving bill from from the rat trays right like he is he's almost being like a dad to her in a way a dad that she didn't ask for and so yeah that's a good way to put it yeah right but you kind of get like the minute he hugs her and she starts hearing his thoughts you're always in the you're always going to be that that dad figure or whatever just I know what you're thinking, and it's just like I love you. I love you. I want to like he's like a puppy dog. Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, um, gave that away. You know, t- uh, <laughs> but you should know by now. This is 15 years, right? Uh, yeah. But this, it, the the the, the what's it? Statue of limitations on spoiler alerts is yeah. uh, you know well uh, under 10 years. 
But uh, Tara comes in and er, yeah, basically everyone is just everyone in her life except her grandma is telling her Bill is no good for her. A vampire named Bill is no good for her. She doesn't care. And then we cut to the last scene. It's closing time. She walks out. She's waiting for Bill. She looks around and you get that kind of stylized like Bill. And then she gets hit. Yep. And then it and the pretty nasty the, too. Yeah. No. Like it turns out Mac and Denise are just. They're, they've returned and they're they're ready to kill her. Yeah, and they're they're whooping her ass pretty good. And yeah, no, it's that's it. That's how the episode ends. How how could me in my uh, crazy? That's how the episode. Like ends. when I first discovered this show, I'm like, oh, I have to watch the next right episode. exactly. And you know, it's similar when we discussed Buffy that the first part of that premiere ended on a cliffhanger. Here, this is really just the first episode. Did you have to wait? Right, like if if you're watching this when this first aired. You have to wait a week to find out what happens. You can probably guess that Bill comes in and saves the day, or at least someone does, right? This is our main character here. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, and, and it's on a big cliffhanger. And so that's an interesting way to start the series. And I think it also just goes to show that humans can be just as dangerous or even more dangerous than the vampires. That will be a theme throughout many of a show that we cover with some kind of thing. But yeah, no, humans, like, especially drug addicts like these yeah. junkies yeah basically they are um they're like the, they're like very bottom of the barrel type you know they're they they exploit they they're they're violent um and you you gotta censor them when you first meet these people in in the bar right um clearly they're they're up to no good and so this is the again this is like the environment that we're in so interesting that's how the, the first episode ends you look at me like that when i'm only looking out for you I never noticed how much you and Jason have the same eyes. Such sweet eyes. He could never kill anybody. Oh, for heaven's sake, Sarah! Jason is never gonna care about you the way you care about him. What the fuck? You You made a promise. You stay out of my head. Oh, you promised me you would never do that again. And you don't know. You don't know. Maybe Jason will get shook up by this whole monster. Oh, just shut up the both of you and stop bossing me around. I am a grown woman and I am the one who decides what I do not either one of you. So yeah, we you know we've talked a lot about in the beginning the you know the overall nature of the show, but yeah, you know, just um, you know a little bit of a retrospective review here on on this first initial episode. You know, we we talked about how this has this this first episode is establishing the political spin on vampire lore, which you know um, I'm sure in other settings, right, in more classical novels about vampires too, like they related the the mythology to what was relevant at the time and you know this is just a modern update of that and it just goes to show that vampires can really live in any time setting i think it probably is the and maybe because i'm just speaking because it's the most one of the most recent but it's probably the best uh when it was at its like peak some of the best like reflection of our time like you know they have like like pray the gay away type stuff yeah um how werewolves are like great represent uh representation of werewolves and they're like their cult their culture like they're kind of especially in uh louisiana uh just like these bikers like but also the hierarchy and bureaucracy like uh that woman that uh oh the vampire rights activist like she she ends up like she comes back nan flanagan like she like the bureaucracy that uh vampires have to deal with it's kind of interesting to watch and like it's 
you know, you get vampire kings. I think um, Evan Rachel Wood, like every oh. state has like a governor ish or like a like Evan Rachel Wood plays the vampire queen of Louisiana. And I, I could be completely botching that, but I know that was like a big deal. Yeah. Um, when they got her. But it's it's very uh, uh, like what happens, like ha- the creation of a new vampire. And that's how we get Jessica, who became not in the books at all became a fan favorite like i i i love that actress uh deborah ann wool like it's just okay uh it it goes into some very interesting places but i think you got like a like the second season bad guys kind of like an a cosmic not cosmic entity but or not a demon but just like this uh like a, a mythological creature that causes orgies, and, <laughs> but like it, it and witches, like it does. Yeah, you have all of that, and so, but it again, it's adding this um, political layer onto yeah. all of it, which is so interesting. Uh, and you know, the Deep South is, I think, a very good setting for this. You know, I think New Orleans has in other media been depicted as a place of mythology right like it can be a place where there's witches or or voodoo or ghosts right like it is a place where people do believe in supernatural events and beings so like louisiana is a good setting for this but also just the culture clash right of the deep south typically a place that is socially conservative but you know there there is like um an underbelly of people who are suppressed who maybe like you know don't conform into the into the rigid roles that they're forced into. So like, you know, especially like Louisiana, you know, Louisiana has a prevalent um, gay community and, you know, it's, it's, it's like one of the more like diverse areas of the South. Right. So there is a bit of a culture clash in that, in that area. So like really like a, a really good setting too, for this like American vampire story, basically. Yeah. uh, But we usually say like, Oh, if the, if a show, or even like a movie, but usually a show takes place in a city. You know, uh, that show does a good job at making the city a main character. I would say that the show, the culture, the culture alone, like the the details, like the music, the vibe, just like I. That's why the opening credits is like so. It works so well. Like I we did. I did forget to mention. Like you, you see the the kid clansmen in that, but there, like there's that underbelly but yeah no it's it's i thought i think the south is just um you get like that those unique characters and not that like i it could be in the north or the west it just i you know this is what charlene harris wrote about but it's just it really is kind of brought to life and you know you get that bayou yeah as you said the the cajun accent it just it leaps off the page there is something too. I think a lot of stories that take place in the South usually lend itself to a sort of romantic feel. I think maybe it's the accent, um, you know, the the Southern drawl that lends itself to to that ro- more like romanticized storytelling. Uh, but you know, it, it's just a it was just a new modern take on on vampires that people hadn't seen yet. We'll see like in other vampire uh, shows that will uh, take on that have more of that classical depiction. Um, yeah, but yeah, even like I said, in the first scene, you get a guy who's a vampire that is not what you normally think of as a vampire. And so the show is trying to challenge you into broadening what a vampire can be in this world um, and what it can stand for. And so yeah. I also like the normalization 
of it all, like we were saying before, you know, I just like that this is a world where just everyone knows there are vampires. And I, I can't really think of, I'm sure someone could, but I can't think of another franchise where everyone just knows there's vampires already, you know, like, yeah, they're, they're always like, it's like, but it's they're not, not in the shadows, secret. right? They're, yeah. yeah, they're all <laughs> in the coffin. <laughs> what are we doing in the show? No, but like, it's, yeah, they're just, they're hiding in plain sight is what I, uh, right, right. And so, um, that's interesting to me. And, uh, then again, going back, like, you know, this, this show, um, despite all the, the political allegories, it's very much tackling human sexuality. And how that, oh, yes. you know, it's it's kind of like how destructive it can be, how self-destructive, uh, you know, one's uh, proclivities can can lead them to. Uh, so, you know, it's 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 a show that doesn't hold back at all. It's very memorable, but, uh, you know, it's 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 only a show that could exist on HBO, you know? Yeah, basically, like. You know, it only gets more interesting from here on. And uh, yeah, like I think this is probably my third time saying it. What this show has some really good television highs. Yeah, like, and you know, clearly it it uh, got more popular as it went on. Like I said, you know, the 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 audience would only grow for this. So you know, the people who saw it from the beginning kept watching and. It, it's it's something that spread in popularity and even if the the quality of the show didn't last through all seven seasons i think it's popularity and it's um it's place in tv history you know will always endure oh yeah especially in like it i was gonna say in the vampire genre but it like it, it's a little it's a little above that and maybe because it was on hbo yeah I, for sure. It was allowed to do things that I don't, yeah, maybe, you know, Showtime or Stars, but like. You know, sometimes, sometimes you see like an HBO show edited for cable, right? Like a Sex in the City or The Sopranos, and like they, they tried, they replaced, oh, yeah. they replaced, they, they replaced fuck with frickin' or something like that. You'd be very hard pressed to try to find, to try to edit this show in a way that'd be suitable for broadcast or cable. You'd probably have to like cut someone... out the whole show. You'd probably be left like, with, a, yeah. with a few minutes. It's probably someone taking off their shirt and then cut them, putting it back on. Like you, you like the show would make no sense at all. Right. If you, if you cut out all the parts that are not appropriate for regular TV. Uh, so I, I get a kick out of that. So yeah, true blood. Uh, you know, it, I you clearly kept watching. I think that's a show that I'm going to give another go at and watch. And yeah, very very unique entry here. Yeah, no, I'm a really solid pilot. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And so I next week we're going to be moving on to maybe a little further down on the scale, right? If from once again the count from Sesame Street to uh, True Blood is the two extremes. We're going to be going back towards the other end for next. We're going to be discussing the Vampire Diaries, uh, CW show that you know probably has the same or similar demographic as Buffy the Vampire Slayer did. So we're going to be going back towards a little bit of that high school vampire setting. Buffy for a new generation. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But you know what? Like, I would still say unique. You know, still doing something. It's it, a, a new tone, right? For for the aughts. Well, I'll tell you this, like. I was at a party uh, a while back, 
and it's like oh, i kind of did mention like oh yeah we'll be watching this and we're heading into vampires and just about all the girls at that party watched vampire diaries or have watched it and i'm like oh there's something here so i want to i hopefully i can pick up what this show is laying down yeah exactly hey it, it spawned uh at least two spinoffs that i'm aware of so really yeah oh yeah exactly so you know there's something to be said about that one as well um interesting all right so that's where we'll be next week guys uh hopefully you can watch that uh in time for our discussion and uh keith until then see you at the next pilot Follow us on Instagram and X, formerly Twitter, at Take Us to the Pilot. That's Take Us to the Pilot with the number two. Attention passengers, we've now reached our destination. We hope you enjoyed the flight and have a nice day.